Open your Bibles if you would. Luke 24, verse 49. And Acts 1.8. And Acts 2, 1-13. We're going to read a few Scriptures together. And just springboard out of what we talked about last week. We started a new series called Power from on High. And uh, we're going to be taking a little bit deeper look. Basically, Power from on High for crossing boundaries. That's what we're looking at in this series. God's power comes into our lives, and what you see over and over and over is that He gives us grace to cross boundaries with the good news, life, love, gospel, peace, joy that comes in Jesus Christ. So, um, I'll do better with these. Some of you know what that is like, and you sympathize. Others think it's awkward and that it'll never happen to you. <laughs> oh well. Here we go. Luke twenty four, forty nine. This is Jesus finishing up with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That's where we got the name of the series. And in another version of that, Luke and in the beginning of Acts, he wrote Acts also, kind of Luke, volume 2, down at chapter 1, verse 8, says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So crossing boundaries, because the Holy Spirit's come on them. Okay, so, here we go with the reading of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 or so, something like 13. Let's just read this. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit... So they've been waiting 10 days, the upper room, praying, seeking God, about 120 of them. And then this is what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Yes, thank you. So we have this little deal on Saturday mornings, <clears throat> Kim and I, and uh, I kind of talk about the sermon a little bit, and she has to sit and listen to some of it. It helps me to get, kind of verbalize it. And inevitably, I start choking and, I, and she starts laughing. And she goes, why do you not ever do this on Sunday? <clears throat> I'm doing it today. <clears throat> Just us. 
Hey, y'all want to hear another fun story before we get into this? This is totally random. Anybody get out on Friday? Okay, so we had to go down to Waco, a little, just a little deal, just a short appointment down there. Drive down, and it said, the day before, it said dusting, down to Cleburne, dusting. I was like, dusting, okay, that's not a big deal. We could go through Cleburne, zoom on down. It wasn't until we got south of west that it actually stopped snowing. By that time, we'd already seen eight cars slide off the road. I mean, it's a, we're talking quasi-harrowing, white-knuckled kind of deal. Not, not a relaxing drive, taking off the gas on the bridges, all that stuff. And literally, the Lord speaking to me just right before a car did that, went, almost went across into the other uh, lanes of traffic. And uh, so then on the way, we had a short appointment. On the way back then, it took us three hours and 20 minutes to get back from Wake. So five hours total in the car. I mean, and, you know, we literally just stopped in Alvarado just doing nothing. We had gas, praise the Lord, just literally on the highway there in the curve, Alvarado, for like a long time, get, to a, get off to the service road, finally go back to 67, cut down across where we're moving, then get to the tollway and get up. And we're just like, this is awesome. But even there, cars sliding off the road. She goes, Jamie, look. And a car was spinning and just comes and slams into the concrete barrier right on the other side of the road. And I'm driving past 25 miles an hour with the guy going. <laughs> and, and I was just... And we were both like, Lord Jesus, get us home. We want to go home. Back to the sermon. So, yeah, I'm sure there's another four-tooth story out there. Somebody's like, I got a better story. But that's all right. <clears throat> okay, so enough random autobiographical stuff that doesn't have to do with the sermon. Okay, so this is important. Lord... Give us grace here for this message today in Jesus' name. So in the first week, we've been talking about crossing boundaries. The biggest boundary of all, from God to man, from heaven to earth. Jesus coming into the flesh. God becomes a man, crosses this boundary so we can know God, so we can uh, be redeemed, so we can be forgiven, so we can be brought into His life. It's absolutely incredible. So what then they saw in Jesus this crossing boundary stuff, now starts to happen as He promised that power is going to come and they're going to cross boundaries themselves. He, he told them that would happen and now it starts happening. They receive the Holy Spirit and wonderful things start to happen. Now this is a major dynamic in Scripture. It's a major dynamic in the history of the church. You see, right, <clears throat> just... <clears throat> Over and over again, you see the power of God comes, people are praying, they're seeking God, they're in prayer meetings, that kind of thing. Holy Spirit comes in some fresh, wonderful way, and then they go out and do something that changes the world. That's, that's basically kind of a paradigm. There's a gathering that comes in, and then a scattering and a sending out. Everybody tracking? A few examples would help, wouldn't it? So, 1727 August, the Moravians, they're these... There are these uh, bunch of different people, different backgrounds and stuff that had gathered on Count L uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf's uh, estate. And so there are all these different people and they're arguing some and they come together at a communion service on a Sunday morning and a, this service lasts five hours. And they say the Holy Spirit fell in this meeting and people said, they came out of it and said, it's indescribable. We cannot put into words what happened in that service. Absolutely incredible. You say, well, okay, what was the fruit of that? So something wonderful happened. All these people come together. They gather. What was the fruit of that? Well, they started a prayer meeting 
that went around the clock and kept going for a hundred years after that service. Okay, pretty cool. But then what also happened was they began basically, for Protestants anyway, the modern missionary movement. That's where it starts. It starts with the Moravians. They're willing to sell themselves into slavery so they can get into countries that are closed and things to share the gospel. And there's still fruit. Moravians all over the world today, over a million from this one little experience of the power of God. Uh, Azusa Street, 1906. You know, some people come together. They're speaking in tongues. There's different things that happen. But out of that movement springs a... Out of that... uh, falling of the Holy Spirit, out of that uh, springs the modern Pentecostal movement, charismatic movements and post-charismatic movements and whatever we are, just groups that believe that all that stuff is still happening today, you know, and it doesn't have to, you know, it's not necessarily Pentecostal, but, you know, it's just, we believe in all of that. We want to see the book of Acts happen today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's 600 million Pentecostal and charismatic, some version of that, Christians around the world. 600 million. So the fastest growing segment of our faith. It's among those who believe in the power of God and all of that. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement. 600 churches in the U.S. 600, you know, that was back in the 80s. It started with a small group meeting at his house in Yorba Linda, California. Holy Spirit comes, they're praying and stuff. They start seeing just the power of God. And that thing explodes and starts moving outward in a wonderful way. Roland and Heidi Baker. Anybody ever heard of Heidi Baker? All of you guys. So um, she did a PhD in theology. Her husband did. I mean, they're like smart people, but they've been working with the poor and stuff, and they were just like burned out, fried, crunchy black toast, right? And she goes to this, this revival meeting in Toronto and just experiences the power and presence of God in an extended way for a long time that absolutely revolutionized her life. And they go back to Mozambique where they're ministering to the poorest of the poor and they start reaching out to an unreached and what missiologists call an unreached and unreachable people group. The poorest of the poor. And since that time, since she received that that powerful uh, experience with the Holy Spirit, They've planted over 2,000 churches among that unreached and unreachable people. They're reached. Isn't that awesome? And, you know, even in our own story, down through the years, there's been just these ebbs and flows of Holy Spirit movement. You know, just basically the church started out of a prayer meeting where we started experiencing the power of God and seeing people healed and we'd pray for people. And and not having that kind of a background, we kind of stumbled forward into it. I mean, literally, you know, just, you know, like we'd pray for somebody, they'd get better, but we weren't even connecting the dots at first, you know. And finally we're like, you know, Susie, she got got better. God healed her. God's alive. God's powerful. God's doing all that stuff today still, you know. And there was one season where we were praying, we had a prayer meeting going at our house, and uh, one January, and we said, hey, let's just start praying at the beginning of the year. Let's pray for one salvation a week. And for that entire year, we had one salvation every single week for the entire year. It's a little, small little group of folks, you know. And then at the beginning of the next year, we said, let's pray for five salvations every week. And for five weeks, we had five salvations every, it was just a, it was a season. It was a window of the grace of God being poured out, you know. And I'm just like, Hey, this is the way it happens. Let's believe for it again. You know, let's, let's press into this. 
In the early part of Acts, one of the things you see is friendship. Friendship language is all over the place. Sounds good, doesn't it? Koinonia. It's where we, have, we share things in common. Koinonia, that kind of friendship. Uh, deep and abiding friendships. Fellowship is another word there. Communion. Sharing. Having all things in common. Sharing meals. That's what friends do. Friends share meals together. So all of that's going on in the early part of Acts. Giving to anyone as he had need. need. And the deal is, God put in human beings a longing for what I'm describing right now. This isn't just like for really touchy-feely people. God put a longing in our hearts for friendship, for love, for that kind of sharing. It's a taste for not just uh, you know, physical love, but it's a taste for self-sacrificing love. It's what the Bible calls agape. God put that, that desire to want to share sacrificially for others into our hearts and lives. Because we know somewhere deep down in there, that's God's kind of love. That's what God's love is like, and He put that desire in us. Part of receiving God in the presence of Jesus, the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is getting a taste for this. And it's getting a taste also, not just for receiving it, but for going out and sharing it with others. Amens are great right there. And, you know, here's the deal. These are two poles. Two, and they're, uh, you know, having friendships and agape love with one another and then going out to share that with other people. It's two poles. And if you let go of one, you lose the other. You have to have both of them in order for it to sustain over a long period of time. You know, it's like, that's why our groups multiply. Now, we're all, it's always a journey, and nobody does it perfect, and we've been in good groups and groups that were less good you know, along the way. It just, it's life. That's part of it. But if we rule out the possibility of those groups multiplying, they will stagnate because they're only doing this thing without doing this piece. Does that make sense? And so, I, you know, this, like, this hadn't actually ever happened. But if, if, if you don't bring new people in, you know, when Susie's talking about her mom and you're two, half, three years into your group together and it's this, you know, you know these stories. You could actually, hey, can you just pause there? Let me, and you could tell the story for her, you know, because you've heard the story so many times. And it's like, it's like uh, having new people getting, it just, it changes the whole dynamic of our, of our groups when we're, reaching, when we're reaching out. Does that make sense? This is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings us together in this thing called the church. You want to write a word down? The ecclesia. Ecclesia. It's like out. Called out. The called out ones who are called out to come together to be friends with a purpose. Friends with a mission. Friends with a purpose. That's what the church is. We are this Call, these called out ones. And not just, it's, it's way deeper than that. It's not like we're just called out, God needs us to kind of be together in a place since we're all Christians now. It's like, it's all part of His plan. His plan is that we would be this called out people. Even the, if you kind of follow the, so ecclesia is the Greek word, um, and then church or kirke is kind of the, how it comes into English, which is more like, it means like the Lord's household. So even in the English word that gets kind of 
translated into church from ecclesia, kirka, the Lord's household, even that has to do with family. That's about a father and a mother, a household, brothers and sisters, and that's what we, we are together. Family, the Lord's household. And these are all dynamics that the Lord is igniting and activating in us, and we want to be activated by the Holy Spirit. There's just, I mean, there's like living in your own power, and then there's living activated by the Holy Spirit. And they don't compare. And we're always going to be a mixture, but we want to be activated people by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's kind of what we're looking at today. Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. We're just kind of looking at the narrative of it, and, uh, and we'll make a few observations. Here's the main thing today, though. God wants us to be activated by Holy Spirit power so that we will deepen the reality of our life together and then cross boundaries to impact our city. So let it be written. So let it be done. That's, that's what I'm trying to say today. So we're going to look at these two key questions. The first one is this. What is the Holy Spirit activating? What is the Holy Spirit activating? Right? So this is not a comprehensive list. I'm not trying to nail down all of the theology of the early part of the book of Acts. I'm just, I just was reading through this and I pulled a few things out. Okay? So, what is the Holy Spirit activating? Number one, He is activating understanding. I mean, right there, you see it right off the bat. They're speaking in tongues. The people are understanding them. What in the world? These guys are Galileans. We're from all these different nations. We're Jews. That's why we're here. But we're from all these different nations. They're praising God. They're proclaiming the wonders of God. What does this mean? And then some of them didn't understand, which is interesting. Matthew 28, I'm always blown away by this. Matthew 28, Jesus, the resurrect, you know, you think, if I could just see Jesus face to face. Maybe. They're seeing the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, and they worshipped Him. And it says, but the next line says, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? So you've got... Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, speaking the, the, the wonders of God in their languages, and they're hearing all that and everything, and then some are going, they've had too much wine to drink. They just completely you know, disconnect. And so those kinds of things still happen when the Holy Spirit comes, and especially all these, you know, for those of us who want to see things happen, God move in powerful ways, where it happens is on the edge. That, that's where it happens. It's, it's not, you know, sit back in the rocker, feet kicked up, you know, umbrella drink. That's not where it happens. It happens crossing the boundaries, on the edge. Those are our, those are our best stories when we're cross, crossing boundaries. You know, these mission trips, you guys, ah, may the Lord bless you with wonderful, awesome, super wonderful testimonies of how God's moving. Because that's where the stuff happens. And it happens even in our city because we're missionaries here when we respond to the Holy Spirit's leading. My, one of my mentors, John Brown from Atlanta, Georgia, he's 74 years old. He told me a story one time about being in Russia. He was in a taxi cab, had a translator with him. She'd been doing the translating, talking to the taxi cab driver, and at one point he just takes off, you know, and he ends up leading this guy to Christ. She preaches the gospel to him, leads him to Christ, they get out, they pray, they hug. He's got tears running down his eyes, the, this taxi cab driver. He gets in the car, drives off, 
And the translator is, she has tears running down her face. She's praising God. She says, what just happened? I was translating for you about halfway through that whole thing, and then you take off and you speak the rest of that, and you lead him to Christ in Russian. So, and there's other stories of understanding things like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It could be like um, Brother Yancey. What he does is, is help get the Word of God in languages. He trains teams all over the world to, that are translating the Bible into other languages. And that's kind of that's something the Holy Spirit's in, inspiring and igniting is understanding. That's all I'm saying there. The second piece. What's the Holy Spirit activating? Understanding, but also networks. The Holy Spirit is activating networks. Look at that one little piece there in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, verse 9. This is how uh, we hear them speaking in our own language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, da, 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 all these places. And think about it. God leads all of these people to be in one place together, but think about their networks as they go back, like fire shooting out from Jerusalem all over the place. They're going to be taking what they've seen, the life that they've received, the good news that they've heard, into all those different places. That's what the Holy Spirit activates, and that's how things move forward, is through networks. You know, it's, it's daunting probably to think about how do we reach our city? I, man, that's daunting. But the truth is, there's a whole bunch of networks that are represented all around this room. And it's not, it's not I have to go reach Fort Worth, but I can reach the one. I can make contact with the people that are at, at my work or in my neighborhood and be intentional about creating friendships and those kinds of things. Networks. Another great example of this, look back over at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts 6, verse 7, just, and the word of God spread. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that interesting? That's, those are networks, networks of people that are coming to the Lord. Were they receiving opposition from those priests? Absolutely. So it's not like, and all the priests started believing in Jesus. That's not the way it went down, but there were some that did, even in the midst of those who were the most you know, resistant to the gospel. The, the, the religious that were the most resistant, there were people accepting that. Those networks were still being penetrated in the midst of it. What else is the Holy Spirit activating? Number three, proclamation. Proclamation. I'm going to just divide this into a couple different categories. One would be formal proclamation, you know, formal kind of where... That's what Peter does in 14, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. He starts preaching. So then Peter stands up, and he, like, he brings it, man. He brings a great word. He opens up the Scriptures. He starts doing expository uh, understanding of Joel 2. He breaks down Psalm 16 for them, says, Jesus is the Lord. He is crucified. God raised Him from the dead. Put your faith in Him. And the people, are, they're just like, whoa, what do we do now? Repent. Be baptized. Receive Jesus, receive the forgiveness of your sins and, and this gift of the Holy Spirit's coming not just for you, but for your children, your children's children, for all the generations. That's us down the line, right? So that's 
more formal. The outpouring of the Spirit, the formal proclamation, power from on high. Informal. What would that be? Informal is when it's not like you're really doing a sermon. You know, you're, you run into somebody and, hey, Steve, hey, uh, let's just open up the book here. To uh, We're going to start in John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to explain. It, that, that wouldn't fit the situation, right? So Peter and John, they heal a guy. Then they're called before the Sanhedrin. And it's a little more informal there. There is a scripture that's quoted, but it's much more informal. It's more like they're going, you stop talking about Jesus and making us feel bad and all this stuff. Stop doing that. And they say, hey, you decide what you're going to do, but for us, we're going we're to say what we've seen and heard. You know, Our lives have been touched. And when they saw that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they realized these guys have been with Jesus Christ. So... I've been interacting this weekend uh, with an old friend. He used to come and talk to us about evangelism uh, back in the early days of the church. His name's Jeff Allred. Found out he's a pastor of a thriving, growing uh, church up in, uh, help me out, uh, Salisaw or Oklahoma. Uh, it's up in the northeast. Uh, anyway, a bunch of Oklahoma geography majors, obviously. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, one of the things Jeff taught us, and it stuck with me all these years later, is he goes, look, if somebody gets arguing with you and all that kind of stuff, and just don't, don't do all that. Don't go down the argument road. He said, at the very least, you've got your testimony. And your testimony goes something like this. All I know is, you can always, that's informal proclamation. All I know is, I was messed up, jacked up, stinking, thinking, lost. And then I met Jesus. You know, I was carrying a burden that I didn't think I could ever get rid of. I was in bondage and He set me free. I was just up to my eyeballs in shame and He set me loose and it allowed me to experience His forgiveness. All I know is Jesus changed my life. That's informal stuff, right? Okay? Another one. What's the Holy Spirit activating? Everybody doing okay so far? We're going to just keep, keep it moving. They're going to get practical, talk about our own stuff a little bit, encourage us. So, uh, what's the Holy Spirit activating? Receptivity. Receptivity. This, this is the sovereignty part of God. This is the sovereign God part here where you don't do it by your argument. The Holy Spirit is always working in people's lives. Now, you might be seed one or seed two or water one or water two. We don't know. You know, one person does one piece. Baron might share a little piece with somebody. And I come along and they just give their lives to the Lord. And it looks like I did something. But it's, the Holy Spirit was already working in their lives. So the Holy Spirit, is the He's activating receptivity in our lives. So they hear the message from Peter. Peter, he is both Lord and Christ. And they go, ah, they're cut to the heart. What do we do now? That's receptivity. What do we do now? And he just says... Repent. Be baptized. Receive forgiveness. So that's receptivity. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been times in our lives where it's been like, tell us what to do. That's when somebody's receptive to the Holy Spirit. What, what do I do now? What, just They're ready to believe in God. They're ready to take the next step. And God's going to bring us into relationships with people that want to know this good news that we've been brought into ourselves. It might be through friendships over time, and it might be something that just seems like 
wow, that was a divine appointment that just, how did that happen? Okay? Another one there. What's the Holy Spirit activating is fellowship. This is the gathering together part. The Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves, the apostles teaching, breaking bread. They're together. They're going from house to house. They're eating meals together. They're hanging out. They're doing this agape love thing with one another. That's what the Holy Spirit's activating. You can't, uh, even the most evangelist-minded person who's just like, it's all about getting people saved, you can't sidestep or discount this piece of fellowship. Again, you, you do one pole without the other, and it, and it collapses. Make sense? So we want all of that. We want that house-to-house, beautiful thing, a sense of awe at what God's doing in our midst. That's a Holy Spirit gathering in combination with the Holy Spirit scattering that He also leads us into. Another one there. What's the Holy Spirit activating? Timing. Timing. Do you believe that? Time, it really, I mean, it's so true. So, here's a good story. At the beginning of chapter 3, Acts 3, now the reason this is so, I think, is so cool, the timing of this, is this gate beautiful. I'm about to read a few verses here, but the gate beautiful is like one of the main entrances in and out of the city and out, in and out of the temple. And so, uh, one day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, and a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked at him, as did John. Peter said, look at this, or look at this, look at us, sorry. <laughs> Sounds a little heart, more harsh. Look, look at us. So... The man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, the reason, uh, that's pretty awesome timing anyway, but part of the thing that hits me is he's taken there every day. He's been crippled from birth. So the temple, the gate beautiful is like a major entrance into the temple where Jesus would have gone in and out, most certainly. And, And Jesus did heal people, but he didn't heal everybody. And so there was some kind of piece of God's timing in Peter and John being able to walk. I mean, Jesus left some people for other people to heal, you know? And so there was some sovereign timing there in that whole thing. And that's encouraging to me because I think how many times I've missed it. Y'all know what I'm saying? I've missed it, you know? And I just like, oh, I wish I, and I thought of what to say later or why didn't I pray for them? I was in a rush. Sometimes I do. A lot of times I don't. You know, but it's, it encourages me that that timing is always out there potentially where the Holy Spirit's moving. And just, okay, so for every time we missed it, let's move forward. Let's just move forward. There's still all these divine opportunities that are out there if we'll be sensitive you know, to the Lord and just say, Lord, lead me in this. What do you want me to do here? Here's another one. What's the Holy Spirit activating? Is courage. 
courage in the face especially of religious opposition. Man, I mean, Peter and John hauled before the Sanhedrin. Then they're like put in prison, you know, and then they're, re- they're released, I, which is always kind of a crazy thought to me. Imagine living in a, a culture where you've got religious police that can lock you up in jail. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? You know, there's been times in the history of the church even where that stuff could happen and did and some crazy things, you know, were, were connected with that. You know, but they had courage in the face of opposition. And, I mean, everything you see Paul facing in the rest of the book of Acts as you get into the later chapters, it's basically religious opposition wherever he goes. It's the religious stuff that gets him thrown in jail and he spends a lot of, that's where we get a lot of the New Testament though. He gets that opposition. He gets courage in the midst of it. The last one I'm going to mention is prayer. What the Holy Spirit is activating is prayer. So they get released in Acts chapter 4. And after they're released, they come together with all the believers and they begin praying, Sovereign Lord, this is verse 24 of chapter 4, You made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You spoke through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of your servant David. Why do the nations rage? They're they're, they're using praying Scripture. This is awesome. And so, down in verse 30, uh, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love that. And I, I love it, too, for everybody that tries to get real technical on what the Holy Spirit does when He comes the first time and you lay it all out and you can't, you're not, not really supposed to ask for it a second time. I would say ask for a second, third, 295,000th time. Just, and there's a promise that when you ask, God is a good Father and He doesn't withhold things from you, but He gives. Okay? And so this fullness thing, it's like, yes, I, there was a second blessing. There was a third blessing and a... a thousandth you know how many times have i spent the middle of the night crying out god fill me up is that like a crazy prayer no it's a good prayer so they we get filled up before specific things even they they were about to step into something they needed the fullness of the spirit in their lives they were filled with the word of god the, the holy spirit and they went out and spoke the word of god boldly okay so man let's I really want to stir something up. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to stir something up in us to have that kind of expectancy in our hearts. So what is the Holy Spirit activating? All of those different things. And what does that mean for us? What does it mean for... Just around this room. What does it mean for us as Christ's fellowship here today? Number one, got three things and a few stories. So I'm uh, going to have to hustle. Um, The first one, seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. Seeking the fullness. And guys, there's constantly an opportunity for us to recalibrate on this. I'm in a recalibration mode right now. Just on the day-to-day, seeking the Holy Spirit and fullness in my life. I want that. I was telling Kim this morning, I I worshipped real loud. And I needed to do something different. Worship real loud with the music turned up real loud and just sang. And it was good, you know. And it wasn't long before there, like, the Lord was touching me in a fresh way this morning. 
So sometimes it's day-to-day like that. Sometimes there's special seasons of seeking the Holy Spirit. Like you know, you, sometimes you know, like, I'm coming into a season where I want to be seeking the Lord during this time. I want to be pressing into God. Some of our most dramatic miracles that we've seen at the church have been in times where people were seeking God in an extra in an extra-focused way over time, asking for miracles, asking for things to be seen. And, and can I just say, too, that some of these, these things, and we've seen some dramatic stuff, broken bones healed on the spot, someone who was dead raised from the dead right here in Fort Worth. And, and, the, and, and the people involved, they're not like extroverts. It's not like, whoo, you know, give me the mic. Where's a mic? That's what I need, right? Just... And they're not, they're not like, you know, extroverts like that. They're like behind the scenes person, people, you know, and it doesn't. So there's something here for extroverts. Come on, wave your hands if you want to. <laughs> and there's something for introverts. It's all the same power of God. Yeah, who don't want to. It's just like it's frightening. And, you know, but God still uses that. He uses all of us. He wants to use all of it. It's going to look different, different people, different ways, all that stuff. Uh, Heidi Baker, I, I mentioned earlier, was burned out, sought God about healing. My understanding is, the story, somebody could probably help me on this, prayed for a thousand blind eyes before she saw the first blind eye opened. But saw, well, not, on the, whenever that, that number was, then that white, that white film comes off and the person starts screaming and crying because they can see it's awesome, you know. Praise the Lord. John Wimber, same kind of story. Prayed, supposedly prayed for like a thousand people before he saw somebody healed. I mean, that's a desire to see. You know, it's like we've got people in this room that are consistently doing things over the long haul. And with, you know, sometimes it doesn't always look the way we think it ought to look, whether it's prayer or ministry to the poor, or just all these different op- options and op- possibilities and things. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't be weary in doing good in these ways. Um, anybody see the USA Today article about a month ago about a guy being raised from the dead? Like USA Today. Let's uh, roll the clip. See the little video. Okay. Woo! So, you know, uh, I love that. I just I couldn't believe it. I was reading it in USA Today like, they're doing a story about a guy being raised from the dead. Because there's always somebody out there, well, I'll believe it when there's a documented deal and it's always somewhere else. And, you know, and some doubted. And some said they'd had too much wine to drink. You know, so it's just that all those things are possibilities. Sometimes it's not sensational at all. Sometimes it's the fruit of the Spirit coming into our lives and us being kind, loving, peaceful, long-suffering, patient, good, goodness-marked kind of people, right? As opposed to you know, short-tempered, irritable. <laughs> Throw something, nudge somebody, come on. So, so that's, that's one thing it means for us, is seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Another one is following the Holy Spirit to others. So it's going to be this inward thing that's a part of the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be an outward thing, being led to other people, being led, following, trusting that the Lord will give us insight as we, and, and there will be receptivity, all those things that we talked about earlier, why wouldn't he be leading those as God changed? You know, giving understanding, leading us to networks, you know, 
giving us the ability to proclaim His Word, receptivity, fellowship, divine timing, courage, prayer, all of those things being seen as we follow the Holy Spirit to others. Sometimes it's bringing people into our spheres of influence or you know, friendship. You know, we've got great stories down through the past. But I will say too, that when we do this going out, following the Holy Spirit, it's going to cost us something. You don't, again, you don't get to do the legs up you know, deal and it not cost, you know, it takes time, it takes a night of the week or you know, something to really do the meals and develop friendships and all of that kind of stuff. But it gets down to, and I'm going to just say the O word here, it gets down to obedience. It gets down to obeying the Holy Spirit. Because... It's like, we don't like the obedience word. We're Americans. We're independent. Da, 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 da. And all, all of that. And then Jesus Christ is the most obedient person who ever lived. Period. He, he yes, and we're, we want to be conformed to his image. He's the most, we got to get, something has to give, and it needs to be the American thing. Our culture needs to give on this because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing only said what he heard the Father saying. He lived in constant obedience and as a result had the most authority of anybody on ever, you know, planet earth. All authority, heaven on earth, given to him. So there we go, little piece. Let's be people that are growing in this grace of following, obeying the Holy Spirit to others. last little thing there is expecting the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where we expect something to happen. Expect God's power to be released in our life and friendship in love as we come together, but also as we go out in timing, in healing, in salvations. What's going to happen on this trip? I, I don't know, but I, I'm expectant. You know, with you guys, everybody that's going, I'm expectant for something good for the college guys. Something good is going to happen. God's going to be moving in wonderful ways. The spectrum is the sovereignty of God. God just does it all, and, and we don't we just... We just sit back and God's going to save them. He's going to do it. That's one end of the spectrum, right? The other end is it's just all on our backs. And, and we're just guilty, laden people that have to go share and oh, I hope something happens. So, so you know, somewhere in between you know, God's sovereignty and, and our participation with Him is how it actually happens. And, and so... I love my dear friend Jimmy Seibert down at Waco, at Antioch in Waco, says, you know, it's like this. Yes, God sovereignly moves in saving people, but I find that He more often sovereignly moves in saving people when I share my faith. (laughs) And so it's just a, we want to be in the game. This is who we are. This is who God's made us to be. This people that, that are alive with the life of God, sharing His love and grace his goodness, all that he is, obeying that prompting. You know, it's like, hey, this may sound strange, but I just felt like God, you know, and this, that's, it's just a, then you can do it. It's, it'll be okay. Here's the deal. What would happen if we saw increase across the board in everything that I'm talking about at Christ Fellowship? Seeking the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit in his leadership to others, and expecting that he would move when we step out in faith. What if we just saw the water level rise all the way across the board? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't it be exciting to, for us to have permission to, to live that way? Like, Marsha, you've got permission. And she says, Jamie, you have permission. And Jackie, you have permission. 
You know, Mike, you've got permission. And all, all the way around the room, we said, like, green light for seeking God in fullness. Green light for expecting His power. Green light for obeying the Lord, even if it's outside of the box a bit. Right? It's so important that we cultivate this in our culture here because, you guys, the boundaries are real. Those boundaries we experience around us, they're real. The enemy doesn't want us crossing boundaries to touch our city. Doesn't want us crossing boundaries to talk to the person across the street. Doesn't want us crossing racial boundaries or economic boundaries. And yet, God's calling us to this kind of life. He's brought us to the city as as missionaries, but the enemy would have us just fine if we just kind of stayed in our own little enclave. He would be just fine if we were just slightly religious. He'd just fine with that. Just, just, slight, just a veneer, just the porcelain, everything's always great, you know, everything is awesome. <laughs> but there's more to life than that, right? For those Lego movie watchers. <laughs> what if we obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit? What if we expected this kind of Acts 2 power in our lives? The last census in Tarrant County, 1.4 million people, 300,000 of the 1.4 million people, only 300,000 said they had a church home. Now I know there's probably more Christians, certainly, in that 1.4 million people, but my goodness, we are convicted here that growth like God wants only happens in fullness together. Uh, just, so there's however many people that do know the Lord that aren't connected in a life-giving way to a life-giving church. They're missing out on the fullness pieces that God's want to, wanting to lead us into. And like I said earlier, we can't put handles on reaching 1.1 million people, but James and Laura can talk to their neighbors. We can pray for them. Maybe before we even talk with them, we can pray for them. We can walk around our neighborhood and pray. We can walk around our school. We can walk around our workplace. And we can pray. God, give us opportunities. Give us open doors with people. And the Holy Spirit, He's been speaking and leading, loving, all down through the centuries. Same Holy Spirit. He's doing that same thing right now and He will continue doing that. And the question is just, why, why not? Why not join what God's doing? You know, and this is one of those messages, you guys, it's like it's an everybody message. There's, no, there's nobody I'd say, this is just for this little pocket of people. If I could just get them to respond today. This is for all of us.